0: So whereas the S&P 500 down 4% on the year in Canadian dollar terms, quality is up about 1%. These are the kinds of companies that can weather the storm.
1: Welcome to Views from the Desk, a special edition of the BMO ETFs podcast. In these timely episodes, we provide the latest investment news and expert commentary on the markets, the economy, and investing, brought to you by BMO Global Asset Management. Hello, and thanks for joining us today. With the coronavirus infection curve getting flatter in recent days and governments introducing plans to reopen parts of the economy, it's no surprise that investors are seeing a return of cautious optimism in the equity markets. To better navigate this rally, Mark Ray speaks with Chris Heeks and Chris McCaney about ETF strategies that offer both upside participation and downside protection across the portfolio. Before we hear from our experts, we'd like to remind you that when buying and selling ETFs, it's best to avoid trading near the open and close of the market, especially during periods of heightened volatility. We also recommend using limit orders and revisiting those orders regularly during the day given that markets may continue to shift dramatically in these turbulent times.
2: Hello, I'm Mark Rays. I'm the host. I'm the head of product for BMO Game Canada, covering mutual funds and ETFs. Today, I am joined by Chris Heeks and Chris McKinney, both portfolio managers on our ETF desk. They both work on the equity ETFs, as well as the option strategies, but of course, are involved across the desk in terms of strategy and and overall approach to ETS. So thank you, Chris and Chris, for joining us today. I'd like to begin talking a bit about the cautious optimism that we're seeing in the marketplace. We're seeing economies either start back up or at least start to develop plans to do so. Uh, The markets are responding accordingly. We've seen a strong bounce back, even with some of the scary earnings announcements And the fears of triggering a second wave of COVID-19 if if we move too quickly and, and the disease spreads again. So keeping in mind that investors have a fear of missing out, what's a good way to invest with this cautious optimism? I'll ask first on on equities and maybe focus both on factors and as well by region. I'll give that question to Chris Heeks. Thank you.
0: Thanks, Mark, and uh, good morning, everybody. Yeah, certainly cautious optimism, if not outright, uh, almost fearless optimism at this point. You know, we're now up 30% from the low of March 23rd. The S&P 500 in Canadian dollar terms as of today is only down 4% on the year. So I think you know the market does have a couple of good things working for it. You know, number one, first and foremost, is the COVID cases uh, appears to be flattening, decreasing new cases kind of globally. So obviously that's a very good sign. And we're even getting news this morning of of uh, some potential improvements in uh, therapies for for COVID. So we'll see how that plays out. Uh, so improvements on that front, and really the global stimulus in terms of monetary and fiscal, has been. Record, so I think we're on pace for what's going to be a record year in stimulus, likely even uh, exceeding the the stimulus in 2008 and the financial crisis. So you know, a couple of things that are really working well for the market. Now, what's not working, you know, is you know the more we talk through this, as you know, as a society, as a global community, you know, we realize that the the recovery is going to be longer. This is not this is not a snap back to normal. This is going to be a prolonged recovery. Yes, we're talking about opening up businesses kind of over the next month or two, but it's not going to be, it's not going to look like it was last summer. So this this summer of 2020 is going to be, you know, vastly different um, experience. So, you know, we just had GDP come out in Canada. I mean, the U.S. down 5% for the quarter. There's going to be a lot of news and, and bad economic numbers to navigate. So, you know, while we remain bullish on equities on that kind of medium term, 12 to 24 months, you know, there's a lot to navigate. And, you know, you spoke about earnings. You know, we 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 spoke about the negative earnings on the banks uh, last week or the week before that. And certainly the energy sector is under significant challenges, consumer discretionary, malls, restaurants, you know, casinos, those types of exposures under significant pressure. So the outlook for volatility in the near term, I think is still there, even though, you know, we're really having, you know, fantastic market performance terms of how we look at positioning into that kind of more near term called one year outlook, you know, we're we're continuing to really advocate for you know what we've been advocating really the last two to three years, which is low bulbs and quality exposures on the equity side in terms of a factor tilt um, away from the broad beta. And if you look at a low bulb portfolios, you know whether it's in Canada, the ZLB or or the US or or even EFI, you know, you do see overweights to those defensive sectors. So utilities And consumer staples, you know, are significant anchors of all those portfolios. If you look in Canada, utilities now are about 17% of the portfolio and consumer staples are about 14%. And, you know, the vast majority of that staple is is in the food industry and grocers predominantly. So, again, in a business model where, you know, it's going to be challenged, businesses are challenged, consumers are challenged. You know, we know that consumers still need their utilities. We know that consumers still need their groceries you know, strategies that are overweight these sectors, I think, make a lot of sense as we navigate, you know, what's likely to be challenging 12 months to come, potentially. So, low volatility, you know, again, this year, it's outperforming by 2 to 4%, depending on what region you look at. I think it's a good exposure to have in your portfolio, uh, because you do want to be in equities, not knowing exactly when they're going to turn, having exposure, but in a low ball way also makes sense. Now, uh, quality, as a complementary factor to low ball, is also one that we have advocated for and continue to. Particularly, you know, in the U.S., quality is outperformed by about five percent year to date. So, quality is actually positive. So, whereas the S&P 500 down four percent on the year in Canadian dollar terms, quality is up about one percent. And again, investing in companies that are more profitable and have lower levels of debt. Is a very good strategy in this kind of market. These are the kinds of companies that can weather the storm. Quality does have some more exposure to large cap IT growth, and you know these. You know, we saw Google announced last night; they had, you know, they beat the market expectations. These are some of the best, if not the best, companies in the world, and again, it pairs very nicely uh, with the low ball exposure. So. So you know, overall, we're we're cautiously optimistic on equities on that on that 12 to 24 months, the longer time frame. We're we're very optimistic, but for the kind of next 12 month period, you know, we think low volume quality are good factors to approach the market. All right, thank you for that, Chris. You know, quite
2: interesting to hear that that quality, at least out of the U.S., is actually positive for the year, uh, considering everything that we're we're going through economically. So as a follow up to that question. Are you then seeing more interest in the covered calls, you know, provide that trade-off of excess return for upfront premiums? If you could pick one covered call exposure for for today's markets, what would it be? Please give us your rationale. And as well, a couple of points on how it's currently positioned, considering the the high level of volatility that we have.
0: Thanks. For sure. I mean, the high level of volatility is actually a little bit of a silver lining for the covered call option strategies. VIx index actually hit an all time high as part of this crisis, slightly exceeding um, that the high it hit in two thousand eight. Uh, so we've been able to take advantage of that in our in you know all of our cover call strategies. And if you look at where we're selling these options, we're selling them anywhere from ten to fifteen or, or sometimes even more percent out of the money and generating that kind of call it three to four percent in incremental income that gets you know added to the dividend income of that underlying portfolio. So it's been a good environment for us to be able to monetize volatility. The overall volatility environment is starting to come back a little bit as the market is becoming more and more constructive, but it's still elevated to, you know, in comparison to where it was a couple months ago before before this outbreak. So um, it's still in a very good position to generate tax-efficient income. If I had to pick one, one that I really like right now is the ZWG. So that's our global high-dividend cover call. Uh, we just launched this one in January, actually, this year, but it really builds on the more regional-focused cover call strategies that we have, puts them all into a one global solution, so we have exposure to uh, U.S., Canada, Europe, and even Asia as well, so it's a truly global portfolio. And it's really a mega-cap strategy is how I look at it. Um, we've really tilted towards these large companies paying sustainable dividends, and I think having exposure to uh, size, in the portfolio, meeting size in, in in the positive sense of having larger companies is a good tilt to have in this market. So again, it it's a um, it offers exposure to the to the entire world. It's somewhat similar in geographical allocation to the MSCI world. So it's got quite a strong weight in the US. It's about sixty percent US. Canada weight is about ten percent, and the rest is in their international. But again. I still believe the U.S. exposure is, is the strongest one overall in the global economy. So having that significant chunk of the weight there, I think, serves it well. And it's performed pretty well. So since since we launched in mid-January, uh, the MSCI world has been down 10%. Uh, this one's been down 8%. So it's added 2% of value. Um, and I, I do think it is there being in those stable, defensive, really large-cap companies, I think this is a good exposure, and, and we just launched it, so maybe not everyone's aware of it, but I think really doing a solid job in this environment, yielding about uh, 7% right now. All right, thanks,
2: Chris. I think that's uh, another interesting defensive growth way to to come at today's market, so a good ETF for people to think about. Now let's say with the same theme but move over to fixed income. So what's a good way to invest with cautious optimism both by duration and credit within bonds, as well, keeping in mind the stimulus packages that have been out there, which are focused on only the one to 10-year term of the marketplace. So, Chris McKinney, I'll turn that one over to you. Thank you.
3: Thanks, Mark. And I, I would agree, you know, the cautious optimism is really the approach we're advocating here. And I'm sure you can tell from some of the uh, comments Chris Keeks has given it could be argued the broader market is just pure optimism and not being very cautious. Actually, as again we expect a drawn out process for economies to rebound. Uh, certainly, we'll see a sharp jump maybe in Q3, maybe in Q4 when when the economy starts to reopen. But that jump is not going to be back to where we were when when this started, and that extra lift is going to take quite some time to, to to come back. And so we think. The way Chris was talking about quality on the equity side, we think the same thing makes sense on the fixed income side. Trade up in quality in your fixed income exposures. Certainly, you know, with interest rates as low as they are, federal bonds, even provincial bonds, are not paying you that much to be invested. And so with that cautious optimism, we think it does make sense to move into the corporate space, but again, where the quality is. If you look at where credit spreads are for companies rated A and above. Um, The spread is as high as it's been in over 10 years. So we haven't seen spreads like this since 08, 09. And what that is telling you is that you're being paid more on a relative basis, relative to federal bonds, you're being paid more than any time in the last 10 years to invest in the highest quality corporate bond issuers there are. So if you think about that as an indication of value, and an indication of where you can get paid without taking on a significant amount of risk, um, we think this kind of area makes sense. And so something like our ZQB, that's our high quality bond corporate ETF, again, investing in investment grade corporates with only an A and above rating. Something else that makes sense um, when you're looking at that space, as we said, we do think there is gonna be some choppiness over the next six to 12 months, maybe even a bit longer. If you are expecting some trouble down the road, think about some of these bonds, even if they run into trouble and get downgraded, they're still investment grade. Okay, so from the from A to triple B, for example, a triple B bond is still investment grade. And so you're not going to have that selling pressure that's associated with moving out of the investment grade space into the high yield space. You know, a lot of managers aren't allowed to hold high yield bonds. And so when that happens, there's a lot of extra selling pressure. On bonds that get downgraded. That won't happen in, in the case of high quality bonds, even if they do get downgraded to triple B because they do maintain that investment grade status. So we think that makes a lot of sense as well. At the same time, the curve has steepened uh, in the last couple months. In fact, in January it was it was inverted. So you saw a lot of very, very short-term fixed income holdings from investors because you weren't really getting paid to move out on the curve. Right now, the curve has steepened since there. So you are getting a little bit of extra pickup by moving out to that, you know, again, let's call it ten-year time frame in terms of maturities. Certainly, there's it's even steeper going further out. But as you sort of alluded to, we think central bank buying in the shorter end, in that one to ten-year time frame, we think that adds a lot of additional liquidity into the market, keeps things on a relative even keel, and that's kind of where you want to be. I would throw out if you do want to take on a little bit more risk with your fixed income holdings, in a similar fashion, take a look at that triple B sector. So uh, we we have another ETF for that one, ZBBB, invests only in corporate bonds rated triple B. So this is uh, another area that is seeing spreads that we haven't seen in or approximately 10 years. So the highest value on a relative basis um, over the last decade. Still investment-grade bonds, but paying a very, very high spread relative to uh, government bonds. And so you're getting a nice uh, additional pickup in yield there. Of course, there is that little added little bit of risk because these are slightly lower grade bonds. If they do get downgraded, they do go into that high-yield space, so there could be a little bit of choppiness. So just keep that in mind when when you're looking at where to invest. If you do want a little bit more risk, you know, we would say... Potentially that portion you allocated to high yield in the past, maybe that moves up into the triple B, and then your your sort of core corporate exposure, we think A and above bonds make a lot of sense.
2: All right, thanks for that, Chris. One thing I've definitely noticed in my conversations around the quality bond ETF is the low energy weight, where sub five percent energy, whereas if you go to the triple B, it's closer to a third of the portfolio. So that's quite interesting when you consider. The ratings of the energy companies, another good reason to think about quality bonds.
3: Just to throw in a comment there as well, Like going back to those A and above bonds, in Canada, these are the Canadian banks that we're talking about, by and large, financials in that high-quality space. And so I think you can feel pretty secure in the banks paying their their debt, paying their bonds, paying that interest. If there is trouble in that space, there's likely a lot of trouble in a lot of other spaces. So that A and above bond does make a lot of sense. Thanks, Chris. I do want to ask you guys a question
2: about oil, which of course in Canada has an outsized impact. In a previous call, we discussed the collapse of a May futures contract, and of course due to the massive oversupply, or on the other side, lack of demand. What are you now seeing with the June contract and beyond? We're hearing a lot of noise about futures-based ETFs. How are they coping with this market stress? Can you put all that into context and then maybe compare those future based ETFs to the returns of an equity-based ETF like our like our ZEO?
0: Thanks, Mark. I think you know, with the futures-based ETFs, what we've seen with the last two weeks, the key thought is is buyer beware out there. So what's happening, you know, well, obviously what happened in May, we had a massive oversupply of that contract was coming up to a termination to the point where it went negative. Um, a lot of market participants are saying, well not too much has really changed in the oil markets, So is the same thing going to be happening with June. And uh, certainly the price of the June contract is is pretty low. It's, it's about $14. Whereas the other contracts are closer to $30. So it's about half the value of the long-term value of oil. So, you know, a lot of speculation of whether uh, a similar thing is going to happen. A lot of future based ETFs still have some exposure to June. so buyer beware. It's also, we've seen some of those, futures-based ETFs trade at excessive premium. So it's something that investors have to be very careful with. You know, Unfortunately, some investors, you know, maybe retail, do-it-yourself investors, might have come up with a hypothesis that they think oil is going to go up and bought one of these ETFs. But because they were trading at significant premium, it didn't give them the return outcome that they expected. So I think it'd be very very careful and understand that thoroughly before investing and perhaps even just, I would have recommended just leave them alone right now, given the volatility in the futures markets. Um, I still think playing oil, if you're going to play oil, RZEO is a really good way to play it. The challenge, you know, we're, we're speaking about in the near term is nowhere more evident than in energy markets. You know, Canadian energy prices are somewhere around $10, $12 a barrel right now. So I think being in senior seeing companies is... Is a really good positioning. And if you look at ZEO, all the components of ZEO, the nine equities held, they're all in the TSX-60. So the TSX-60 being the 60 of the most liquid and largest companies in Canada, whereas the Composite has about 240 names, all being pulled into ZEO are in that TSX-60. So actually, if you look at the sector, if you look at the the market cap of ZEO, it's about $27 on average. If you look at the average market cap across the market cap of the TFX composites, so if you include those smaller names, that's actually only $19 billion, even on a market cap-weighted basis. So Zedio is truly a senior approach. It's about half pipelines and half senior and inter- integrated. So the pipelines are less economically sensitive than the explorers um, and less sensitive to that price of oil as well. So. Um, I really think uh, ZEO is, is a good way to play this space. It's a, it's a prudent way to, to get in here. There's likely the potential of higher returns in, in junior oils, but I just think right now it might not be a prudent place to have, have too much of your money. So I think Zedio, uh playing into those large senior integrated and pipelines is a good way to play it, and, and be very, very careful with the futures-based
3: ETFs if, if going there. Just as a reminder to investors that, Futures are a financial instrument, but at the end of the day, um, when you're trading in that space, you're trading in a physical market. You're actually trading actual barrels of oil, and most investors are not used to that concept. They're used to buying stocks, buying companies that add value over time, and hopefully the value of those shares go up over time. And I think the way Chris was talking about playing a, a rebound in energy through the companies that would benefit from a higher oil price are what makes sense in the vast majority of investors' portfolios. Stay away from trading physical barrels of oil. Okay, thanks for that,
2: Chris. One last question for me before we go to the lines. What activity are you now seeing in those cash-like ETFs? We certainly saw a run for those exposures, whether ultra-short bonds or high-interest savings account ETFs. saw a run on those as the market stress hit. But the yields have been dropping Market's been getting more stable. Are you still seeing that that flow to these types of ETFs? Are you still seeing the same benefits, or are investors now starting to cautiously reapproach the the equity markets? Thanks.
3: Certainly, as you say, uh, over the last year or two, um, a huge increase in those sort of ultra short term or almost cash like investments, those ETFs investing in in high interest savings accounts. Huge amount of inflow over the last couple of years. what we've seen really in the last couple of months is that flow has really slowed down. Um, most of these funds are, are pretty flat over the last couple of months, and you know part of that reason could be as you say, yields have come down quite a bit, even uh, particularly on the short end and so the opportunity cost of not investing in these is, is almost gone away, you know holding actual cash. Um, You're not really missing out on any interest payments if you're not uh, investing in in one of these funds. And so there hasn't been as much interest in uh, adding to these exposures. At the same time, we haven't really seen investors pull money out of these yet. And I think it might go to that cautious optimism. Investors still want to have some money on the sidelines when they do want to put it back to work. Certainly, we have seen a nice rebound uh, in the stock market, but we haven't seen huge flows into equities. And so, we haven't really seen investors pulling out of these exposures. They just haven't been adding to them. And really, the main benefit that they do provide right now, as, as I mentioned, you know, yields have come down. So, they're not giving you much yield. They're not giving you much return, but they are very liquid investment vehicles. And so, when you do want to start investing back in the market, whether it's these high quality bonds, whether it's back into the equity market, you'll be able to access that cash very quickly. You'll be able to access those investments very easily. And so I think we see a lot of investors holding on to what they put in over the last couple of years into these funds and looking for opportunities to start picking away at the market into other areas. Um, and again, the opportunity cost of not holding these, of just holding actual cash, really has gone down a lot. And so we have not seen continued investment in this space. However, we do think it makes sense to have some of that dry powder, to have some of that cash readily available for when opportunities um, do arise or when investors are a bit more comfortable with adding on that risk, being able to access their holdings in these vehicles very quickly and very safely. All right. Thanks, Chris. At this point,
2: I would like to check if there are any questions on the line. Thank you.
3: Yeah. Hey, guys. Uh, thanks for taking my question. Uh, my question is regarding low ball rebalancing. Uh, we've seen some ETFs with significant turnover in their low ball strategies recently. Are there going to be any similar impacts for any of your low ball ETFs? Thanks.
0: Thank you. I'll, I'll, take, I'll jump in on this one. Yeah, the TFX low ball index recently rebalanced. Sometimes that's a benchmark we look at in, in measuring our ZLB against. Um, they had a, over fifty percent. I believe it was sixty percent turnover. So. Why did that happen? That index utilizes a one year standard deviation metric. Now, when the market's kind of trending in one direction, which was generally up, and things aren't moving too much and the same sector seem to be winning, that one year standard deviation doesn't move too much. But when you have markets like we've had over the last two months now and extreme moves on a daily basis, you know that one year standard deviation can be very, very noisy. So that's what happened there. It's over sixty percent turnover. Uh, our methodology uses a five-year data, and we chose a five-year metric for for many reasons. It tested better for us. We thought a five-year metric was to be closer to going through a full business cycle, so more indicative of kind of the true nature of a company. And you know, last but not least, it's also a more consistent, stable metric, so it's got less turnover. So you know, while Certainly anytime the markets get more noisy, you're likely to have a little bit more turnover. You know, the fact that we use a five year beta, I don't expect it's going to be, you know, anything on the magnitude of the turnover in the mobile index. So we are rebalancing in June, but expecting to see turnovers kind of in that five to ten percent range across the suite It's going to be pretty moderated. And again, that's one of the hallmarks of our strategy. And I think that's something you want to look for in an ETF in general is Understand what that rebalance is going to look like and how much turnover there's going to be because trading in a market like this, you can actually bear some pretty significant costs trading in these types of markets, as, as a lot of our callers and listeners understand. So having kind of a consistent methodology like we do, I think it's going to serve us well. All right. Thanks,
2: Chris. If there are any further questions, please press star six to unmute your
3: line. Oh, hi, Chris. Uh, this is Andrew uh, Speaking here. I just want to know how you guys are able to take advantage of upside in a covered call strategy. Thanks. What we saw in March in particular was, you know, Chris Heeks alluded to it earlier volatility being at all time highs, Um, the VIX in the US reaching its all time high, even eclipsing that, uh, what we saw in 2008. And what that allows a covered call strategy to do is, you know, when volatility is extremely high, you can generate a lot of premium through. The call writing. You know, remember, uh, if you are familiar with our covered calls, that you are trading off potential upside depending where you set your strikes. And so, this added volatility has allowed us to not only increase the income we're generating, but also push our uh, option our strikes much higher than they would be in normal conditions. And what that means is the trade off between growth happens at a much higher level. In the month of Uh, March, for example, the average moneyness of our options was over 12% at the time we we were writing those options. Now, coming into April, volatility has come down a little bit, but we're still able to write 6, 8, 10% out of the money on some of our names uh, while still generating a very, very healthy premium. And, you know, why is that important? Why do we want to capture that upside? Well, at the end of the day, these are equity investments. They are total return vehicles, even though they are tilted towards income oriented investors. You're going to get equity downside like we saw through March um, through these strategies. They did sell off like other equities did. And so you want to be able to participate in that upside as well. And just to give you one example, our our Equal Weight Bank ETF, you know, the Equal Weight banks Index was up uh, over 25%, almost 26% from the market lows on March 23rd. And our Covered Call ETF was able to actually capture all of that market growth and has slightly outperformed the Equal Weight Bank ETF that doesn't have the option overlay on it. And so we've been able to do that, again, by taking advantage of that volatility, adding more income than we ever have before, but still setting those strikes much higher so that we can capture that growth as markets are rebounding as well.
2: All right. Thank you, Chris. Okay, I'm not hearing any further questions.
3: So with that, I'd like
2: to thank everyone for joining us today. We appreciate uh, both your time and your questions. With that, we will end the call.
1: Thank you to Mark Race, Chris Heeks, and Chris McCaney for joining us on the BMO ETFs podcast. Today, we dove deeper into factor-based exposures that can keep your clients invested in markets without leaving them vulnerable to the extreme volatility. We also heard directly from your peers, advisors who submitted questions to be answered by our experts. If you have any questions you'd like addressed in future episodes, please contact Andrew Vachon, ANDREW.VACHON at BMO.com. Meanwhile, to learn more about ETF strategies mentioned in this episode, please contact your regional BMO ETF specialist. The viewpoints expressed by the portfolio manager represent their assessment of the markets at the time of publication. Those views are subject to change without notice at any time, without any kind of notice. The information contained herein is not and should not be construed as investment, tax, or legal advice to any party. Investment should be evaluated relative to the individual's investment objectives and professional advice should be obtained with respect to any circumstance. Any statements that necessarily depend on future events may be a forward-looking statement. Forward-looking statements are not guarantees of performance. Views from the Desk has been brought to you by BMO Global Asset Management.